0: So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles this morning as you're there on your couch, hopefully with a cup of coffee. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. We're continuing through the book of 1 Peter today. We took a break from it for Christmas, and I know that I say this just about every week, but the text that we look at today is an absolutely fascinating verse, and if we can get our minds around it, it really is one of the most comforting, really amazing things that you're ever going to hear about God's love for us. Before Christmas, we looked at 1 Peter 1:18 and 19. Let's read that together. Verse 18, Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now I want you to listen to me really carefully here. What Peter just did was tell us what the payment for our sin was. He told us that the payment for the forgiveness of our sin was not made with silver or gold, but the payment for our sin was made with the precious blood of Jesus, God's Son. Now, in the next verse, in verse 20, Peter's going to do two things. He's going to tell us, number one, that the payment for our sin was not an accident, but it was something that God planned. And number two, he's going to tell us that you and I are the amazing recipients of this unbelievable, amazing plan of God. Now, Sage Mont, here's the deal this morning. Uh, you may have your kids there with you. Um, they may be running around, whatever. I want to let you know there's a lot of Bible study we have to get through. There's a lot of theology we've got to plow through. This is a not easy text. A lot of stuff we've got to get through before we can get to the application and the point today. So hang with me all the way to the end. <clears throat> Excuse me, let's read this together again, verse 18. Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter says, that was the payment for your sin. Now, watch what he says next, verse 20. Peter says, he, that's Jesus, was foreknown... Before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. All right, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power, Lord. I thank you for its clarity. God, this is a difficult text, but it's an amazing one. Father, I pray that you would open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts So that the Holy Spirit, the gift he gave me in my salvation could speak to us. God, if if it's me speaking we're wasting our time, if you're speaking, everything can change. Lord, we need a word from you. And so I pray my preaching would not be in persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power that our faith would not rest on the wisdom of man. But the power of God. And I ask that in Jesus name. Amen. Peter says in verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now, to get our minds around what Peter's saying, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, verse 12. Genesis three, verse 12. Now here's the context of what's going on in Genesis three. Adam and Eve have just eaten of the fruit that God told them not to. And in the moment that they ate of the fruit that God told them not to, sin enters into the world. God approaches them. He says, "Hey, did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat?" He knew the answer to that, but he was sort of calling them out. And Adam responds first. Look at Genesis 3:12. Then man said, "The woman who you gave to be with me, She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Now, Sage, isn't that just like a man? I don't know about you, but if that's me, and I've just sinned against God, and he says, hey, Matt, did you just eat the fruit I told you not to? That's what I would do. I'd be like, she's the woman you gave to me, God. And she gave it to me to eat, and I did. I'd blame it on my wife. Then the Lord turns to the woman, Eve, in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so she blames Satan. Lots of blame going around here, but that's another sermon for another day. So Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan. They eat of the fruit and sin enters into the world. God calls Adam and Eve out. But then immediately God turns to Satan and he tells Satan what the consequences are going to be for him causing sin to enter into the world. In Genesis three fifteen, <clears throat> excuse me, In Genesis three fifteen, God's speaking to Satan, and He says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Now, when Satan heard that, he would have known that his days are absolutely numbered. And I'll tell you why. Because after Adam and Eve sinned, God immediately looks at Satan, and the first thing he says, he says, Satan, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of a woman. What does that mean? The word enmity means conflict. It means strife. It means battle. And so the first thing God says, listen, he says, Satan, because you've done this, there's going to be a great conflict There's going to be a great battle between you and the offspring of a woman. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And I talked about this in a sermon a couple months ago. It's fascinating that God says that. There's going to be a great conflict between you, Satan, and the offspring of a woman. Here's why that's fascinating. Because every time in the Bible, every time in the Bible... Except for this one, when it's talking about someone's offspring, it's always talking about the offspring of a man. Why? Because the Hebrew word for offspring is the word seed. Sagemont, women don't have seed. Only men have seed. And, and, and so here, still, it, even though women don't have seed, only men have seed, here it says that there's going to be this offspring or this seed of a woman that's going to be in this great battle with Satan. Now, how is it possible for someone not to be born of the seed of a man, but to be born of the seed of the woman? Well, there's only one way it's the virgin birth. OK, so immediately after Adam and Eve sin, God looks at Satan. He says, because you've done this, there's going to be this great battle between you and of this offspring that's born of a virgin. OK, now watch what God says next. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Great battle between Satan and this person born of the virgin it says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel now first of all says Mont, did you notice that god just revealed the gender of the baby that's going to be born of the virgin god said he he this baby not born of the seed of man is going to be a he Church, is this starting to sound familiar to you? Who is the one male child in the history of the world that was not born of the scene of man? It's Jesus. And God says, Satan, you are going to bruise his heel. In other words, in this conflict between you and this baby born of a virgin, in this great conflict, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, which means Satan, you're going to hurt him. But then God says, this baby born of a virgin, there's going to be this great conflict. And God says to Satan, but he is going to bruise your head, which means Satan, he's going to destroy you. Now, church, what event in history did God just describe? When God says to Satan, Satan, there's going to be a huge battle between you and a male baby born of a virgin, and you're going to hurt him, but he is going to destroy you. What what event in history does that describe? It's describing the cross. It was at the cross where the man who was born of a virgin forever destroys the power of Satan. And the amazing reality of it all is that God said that was going to happen. God called his shot in Genesis three fifteen. Listen, don't miss this. In one sentence, God describes in intimate detail the entire plan of our redemption. In one sentence, he describes with intimate detail the entire plan of our salvation from the virgin birth to the cross. And he does it in maybe three seconds after Adam and Eve sinned. It's been seconds since Adam and Eve sinned and God lays out the entire plan of salvation. Now, here's the question I want to get to the bottom of today. Did God come up with that plan right there on the spot? In Genesis 3.15, is God being reactionary? Okay, In other words, did God create us? Everything was going great. We were in the garden. Everything was hunky-dory. And then all of a sudden, boom, we sin. Sinners into the world. And when we sin, here's the question, did that moment take God by surprise? In that moment, after we sinned, did it take God by surprise? And then in three seconds, did God come up with the master plan of redemption from the virgin birth to the cross? Is that how it happened? Did all that surprise God? And he came up with the plan that quick. Well, it could have happened that way. Could have happened that way. He's God. He's pretty smart. But I want you to listen carefully here. What Peter is about to say is that moment did not take God by surprise. But as a matter of fact, God knew we would sin. God knew we were going to sin, and God's plan for our redemption, God's plan to win us back through the cross was something that God planned before the foundation of the world. And the implications of that are simply amazing. Let's read it one more time. 1 Peter 1, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. And so Peter just said that, that the plan of Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled. It's been accomplished. But in the very next thing Peter tells us, in 1 Peter 1.20, he says, He, that's Jesus, was foreknown. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. It was made manifest in the last times. For the sake of you. Now, Peter just dropped a theological nuclear bomb on us. Let's break it down, talk about the implications of it, and then we'll be done today. I want you to look at the first part of the sentence in verse 20. Peter says, He, Jesus, was foreknown. He was foreknown. Okay, some translations say foreordained. So what does it mean? What's Peter telling us that he was foreknown or foreordained? Well, that's a fascinating thing for Peter to say. I'm going to tell you why. Because the word foreknown is the Greek word prognosko. And it's the only time it's used in the entire Bible. Okay? Now, when Peter says that Jesus was foreknown, here's what he's not saying. Peter was not saying that God knew Jesus before the foundation of the world. Okay, now that's true. God did know Jesus before the foundation of the world. They were together for all eternity past. But the Greek word for know is gonosco. Peter doesn't say that Jesus was gnosko or known before the foundation of the world. He says Jesus was pro gonosco before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? The word pro is where we get our English word for prognosis. It's where we get our English word prognosis. The word prognosis means to know the details of a likely outcome of a situation. That's what prognosis means. Prognosis means to know the details of the likely outcome of a situation. When I got cancer of my appendix back when I was 31, After they removed it and everything, the doctor came to me and said, Matt, here's your prognosis. Here's your prognosco. Here's what we think is gonna happen. We don't think you're ever gonna see this cancer again. That was my prognosis. But here's the deal. He's just a human doctor. He was just telling me to the best of his knowledge the likely outcome of my situation. But here's the thing, church. When God gives a prognosco, when God gives a prognosis, it's different. When God gives a prognosis, he intimately and completely knows every detail of the outcome of a situation. So here's what Peter just said. He said that Jesus was prognosco. And what Peter just told us is that God intimately and completely knew Every detail of the outcome of Jesus' life. Now, here's the question. When did God know intimately and completely every detail of the future outcome of Jesus' life? He tells us, 1 Peter 1.20, he says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And so, what Peter just said is absolutely incredible. He just told us that Jesus being born of a virgin, dying on a cross, and rising from the grave was something that God intimately and completely knew before he created the world. That makes sense of what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy 1 8. Listen carefully. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.8. In 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now look what he says in verse 9. He says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us, In Christ Jesus before the ages began. Paul just said that the purpose of the cross was laid out before the ages began. Sage what 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 Peter and what Paul are telling us is that Genesis 3.15 was not God's reactionary, knee-jerk reaction to our sin. But that the cross was God's plan before he created us. Before he created the world. Okay, now. We'll spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the implications of this amazing reality. What does that mean for us? Why does this matter? Don't miss this. It means that if God planned the payment for sinners before the foundation of the world. Then God must have known we were going to sin right? The only reason that God would plan out the cross before he created us because before he created us he knew we would need the cross. And so for that to me that begs the question if God knew we were going to sin if God knew we were going to rebel against him before he created us then why in the world did he still create us? If he knew we were going to rebel against him Why did he still go through with it? He didn't have to. I mean, guys, think about it. In Genesis chapter three, here's what Adam and Eve in essence said to God. They in essence said to him, God, we don't want you. We don't believe anything you've told us. We don't trust you. And they absolutely rebelled against him in Genesis chapter three. Here's the question. Why is there a Genesis chapter four? Why? In Genesis six, five. When God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. says, why is there Genesis chapter six, verse six? On top of that, think about this, guys. you and I sin every day. Why are we still here? If God knew we would sin, if God knew we would rebel against him before the foundation of the world, why are we still here? Why did God allow us to go on? Why did he choose the cross instead of in his righteousness just wiping us out? He didn't wipe us out. He did choose the cross to win us back. And I want you to think about what that choice, when he knew we were going to rebel against him, he foreknew we were going to sin. He chose instead to go to the cross instead of wiping us out. I want you to think about what that choice that he made somewhere in eternity past, what that choice would cost him to win us back. Okay? If the cross was the plan from the foundation of the world, what that means is before the foundation of the world, God chose to suffer and he chose to suffer unimaginably to win you back. Okay? If he was the eternal infinite all-powerful god of the universe yet that choice meant he would enter the world as a baby he was uh, he was the god that spent all of eternity past in unimaginable comfort and bliss yet that choice meant he'd come to this earth and he felt heat he felt tiredness he, he undoubtedly got sick he experienced pain that he'd never experienced in eternity past. God spent eternity past being constantly exalted and worshipped and praised by the angels and the living creatures, yet he chose that choice, meant that he would come to earth and be humiliated, he'd be stripped naked, he'd be spit upon, he'd be mocked, and he'd be crucified. God God spent eternity past experiencing the absolute fullness of life. And yet his choice to come to this earth and walk to, this, to the cross meant that he would experience death. You know what? It's amazing. And above all of that, think about this. God spent eternity past in a state of complete, sinless perfection. He spent all of eternity past and the 33 years of his life in sinless perfection and yet the choice to come to this planet meant that he would become our sin. Have you ever thought about why? Guys, have you ever thought about why in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus was struggling so deeply with the cross? Scripture says that three times he asked God, is there any other way to win him back. Is there any other way that we can do this? Is there any way this cup can pass from me? And he was struggling so deeply as he cried out to God. The scripture says he sweat drops of blood. Have you ever thought about why Jesus was struggling so deeply with walking to the cross? Was it uh, was it that he was afraid of the nails? Was he scared of the torture? Was he afraid of death? I really don't think it was any of those things. It's what I just said. Jesus spent eternity being completely free from sin. He'd never known the sting of sin. He'd never known the the guilt of sin. He'd never known the shame of sin. He'd never known the consequences of sin because he'd never sinned. And yet watch what the scripture says happened to him when he was nailed to the cross, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, he made him, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, he didn't take our sin upon his shoulders like the song says. The scripture says that the one who knew no sin became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Every rape, every murder, every sexual sin, every war, every genocide, every moment of pride, lust, anger, jealousy, rage, envy on the cross, he became that sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Sage Munt, that's why he was struggling. That's why he was sweating drops of blood. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the torture. He knew he would become our sin. And yet, Jesus, after the Father tells him there's no other way, Jesus looks up and he said, It's not my will, Lord. It's not my will, Father, but your will be done. And he gets up and he willingly walks to the cross and he never wavers again. And a short time later, he's hung on the cross and right before he dies, he cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. What was finished? The plan of our redemption that God laid out before the foundation of the world. May I ask you again, if God knew he would sin, God knew we would rebel against him. And he knew that in order to save us, he'd have to walk to the cross and experience more suffering than anyone in the history of the universe has ever suffered. Church, why in the world did he choose to create us anyway? Why? Here's the answer. If you're a parent you know instinctively why he did. If you're a parent, you know instinctively why he chose to create us anyway, even though he knew the unimaginable pain that it was going to cost him. Parents, let me ask you a question. Before you had your children, did you have any delusion that your children would never disobey you? Did you, before you had your kids, did you have any disillusion that your kids would never let you down or that they'd never cause you pain? Okay. Before you had children, did you really have the expectation that when they grew up a little bit and and you told them to do something, that they'd look at you and say, oh, most gracious mother and father, because of your never-ending love and forbearance towards me, I want to obey you with all gladness in everything you say. Well, of course not. Of course you did. You knew they'd disobey you. You knew they'd cause you pain. But you still chose, them, chose to have them anyway. You see, when you have a child, you have this little person in your life that has the potential to hurt you and cause you to feel pain in parts of your heart that you didn't even know existed. Okay, why is that? Well, because your love for your children is unlike any love that you have for anybody else in the world. Your love for your children is different. It's unique than any love you have for anybody else in the world. Couple of reasons, number one, your children are the only people in your life that you fall in love with before you meet them. Everyone else in your life that you love, you met them and then you loved them. Your children are the opposite of that. The only people in your entire life you are madly in love with before you ever see their face. Your children are the only people in your entire life that you would actually give your life for before you ever meet them and so because of this unique and deep and powerful and indescribable love that you have for them they have the ability to cause you pain like nobody else in the world can cause you pain let me give you an example in my own life let me get some water here for this one this is going to be difficult I'm 47 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I love Jesus more than anything in the world. He's the love of my life. I fear the Lord deeply. And so because of that, in those 47 years, I've only yelled at God one time. I've only screamed at God once, one time, in those 47 years. It wasn't when I got cancer. It wasn't when my mom died. It was the day that I found out my son had been in a horrible car accident. My son, JD, was driving home from work. He'd been up late the night before studying then he worked all day the next day outside. It was cold. Got back in my truck, turned on the heat. We lived out in the country. As He was turning a big corner, and that moment he fell asleep. Lady behind him saw the whole thing. Said as he turned the corner, he didn't turn, hit a ditch, went airborne. Landed flipped three complete times and then slammed up against the tree. I got the call. And when I got the call, I drove like a madman to the hospital. And during that drive, I was feeling a fear and I was feeling a pain that I didn't even know I was capable of feeling. In those moments, I was feeling a pain that I had never felt in my life. At some moment in that drive, I lost it. For the first time in my life, I, I yelled at the Lord. I was like, God, what are you doing? God, if you gotta kill somebody, Lord, kill me, please. Don't take my son. got to the hospital and miraculously he was fine here's the question church before J.D. was born had I known all the deep all the unimaginable pain that he would cause me would I have him all over again the answer is absolutely You better believe I would. Why? When I knew they would cause me that much pain, cause that much hurt. Here's the answer. Because my love for my children overwhelms any pain they would ever cause me. Before the foundation of the world, when God knew he would sin, When he knew that we would betray him, and when he knew the unimaginable pain we would cause him, God had a choice to make. And here's the choice wipe us out and start over, or choose the unimaginable suffering of the cross. He chose the cross. Why would he choose the cross? Because that's how much he loves us. He chose to suffer. And he chose to suffer unimaginably because that's how much he loves us. And I'm almost done. But the last thing that Peter says is show us that he doesn't just love us, but his love is actually deeper than that. Let me read it to you one last time. 1 Peter one twenty It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. <laughs> what that just said was that before the foundation of the world, God chose the cross for the sake of you of you. Sagemont, not just for the world. God didn't choose the cross just for the church. Believer, what that just said is he chose the cross for you. He did it for you. Through this verse, what God is saying is Unbelievable. Through this verse, God is speaking to you. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, my child, I knew you and I loved you. And I bound my heart up with yours before you ever took your first breath. He's saying, my child, child of God. He said, I knew you would sin. I knew you would sin. I knew all your sin. I I knew your worst Sin, I knew everything you would ever do. But I chose to create you anyway. He's saying, I love you. I love you so much that I chose to suffer. I plan to suffer so that I would have the opportunity to show you just how much I love you. Man, if you've ever doubted God's love for you, This verse right here, just, it ought to blow it out of the water. And I'll end with this. There's a couple of quotes that I've heard my entire life. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I've always sort of just blown them off. Here's one of them. That's the quote, you've probably heard it before. It says, if you were the only person who ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. Here's the other one. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. I've always sort of blown those off. I've always thought to myself when I heard them, you know, I, ah, that can't be true. I'm just not that important. But what Peter just said, it's true. It's true. He did it all for you and for me. I've been praying that that amazing reality would land on you in a fresh way this morning. So that no matter what happens this year, no matter what you face, that you can stand in the midst of it all and say, no matter what comes, I'm gonna be okay because I am loved by Jesus. He gave himself up for me, and he did so before the foundation of the world. let's pray. Father, the reality of this is there's almost too much to take in sometimes. In the past, when I've sinned, in my heart, I think, God, that's it. I've crossed the line. There's no way you could love me. This verse says, you knew about that sin before I ever committed it, and you still chose to win me back. Father, what do we do in light of this reality that you knew us and that you loved us and you loved us and knew us as individual people before you ever created the world? That in spite of the loss you would experience, in spite of the pain, despite of the unimaginable suffering, you chose to walk through it all for me and for us. God, what do we do with that? The only thing we can do is offer our lives back to you. And say you can have it all. Father if there's any. Within the sound of my voice. That have never trusted in Jesus. As their Lord and as their Savior. Never had their sins forgiven. I pray that right now. The best way they know how. That they would do it. God you're worth it. You're amazing. We love you and we praise you today. In Jesus name.